Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm with architect Grant Amon. Welcome to the show, Grant. Thank you, Stephen. Nice to be here. Grant, you you started at RMIT. You trained here. <clears throat> I did, yeah, 1975. Started a Bachelor of Architecture course, which at that time was um, three years full-time and then three years part-time. Uh -huh. mm, so a six-year course all up. Uh -huh. Yeah. And it was uh, the initiation of the first course that was a sort of Bachelor of Environmental Design for the first three years. Mm. And then it went on to becoming like they do nowadays, a sort of Master in Architecture, but it wasn't a Master's. All we ended up with was a degree. But we got there, yeah. Architects changed enormously since you graduated. Um, it's interesting to see how people... Uh, almost have become specialists in areas and without wanting to uh, typecast you you know I think your name in Melbourne is uh, synonymous with hospitality bars cafes you've done so many in that area that does that mm. annoy you when people say oh grand name and oh he does hospitality but actually you do lots of other things as well, well you we do. do lots of other I guess that's more the public side that people see and can experience and um, and go and buy a drink or a coffee or whatever in a, in a place that we've worked on but um, yeah we do spread across a number of residential single renovations and multi-residential and um, a few community a little bit of retail areas um, even some urban planning um, when I was overseas um, large scale and small scale so those components I guess um, just aren't as um, promoted Busy. on and they're just not out there in the public eye I guess. So, well look yeah. for people who don't know um, some of the restaurants you've probably eaten at some of these restaurants but you don't know Grand Amon is behind them I'm looking at the list and it's very impressive you've got um, Radio Mexico Cozzy in Turak Road Cozzy, which, that's is, an old, which, which has been, been there for years. For a while, yeah. uh, Alona Stella in uh, Carla Street, Balaclava, yep. a 1930s yeah. building that was mm. converted mm -hmm. into a uh, Azalea, Azalea, which is Azalea. now um, Azalea. now changed to uh, Lau's family kitchen um, mm -hmm. in in the Prince of Wales building. But um, quite quite a lot of hospitality ones. Um, they just uh, change, evolve, different owners move in and, and things. So, uh, But they're, they're a moving feast, a lot of them. But the ones like Cozzy, for instance, mm. that was one that um, has stuck. Um, it's been years. around, or even more, sort of been almost um, almost 15 years mm. now. Mm. Uh, um, Grant, look, you know, everyone's dream is to open up a bar and cafe. It's almost like people who it, sometimes who they don't know which direction to go and they say, oh, you'd be great. You know, yeah. open a bar, be fantastic. It's not that easy. No, uh, you probably see a lot of amateurs go out of it. Well, they have a they have a go. There's a, it's not simple. No, there's a number of, just besides the the building and engineering um, prospects of uh, getting an, an exhaust fan out and and legally not upsetting the neighbours or, uh, and you've got liquor license issues. You've got noise. Um, you've got hours of operation. Um, and but then you know the smart ones have thought through their menus, their style, their theme, their um, their budgets usually blow out as, as, as they always do in a lot of projects but um, uh, there are ways of um, achieving it and then opening and just getting the right mix and, and feel to the place that suits what they've done so it's always a bit of a, um, a combination of, of, of delivering a service as well but also a bit of a vision um, and working hand in hand um, with with someone with that vision to get, to get it out there, so they're not easy though. No, they're they're quite complicated beasts. Yeah. 
and they usually have to be done on a very short time frame, like, for instance, the Olsen Hotel project, um, which is called Blue Bottle and now changed names to Spoonbill and been slightly altered, but um, that was a brief we received about three days before Christmas. Um, and they wanted it by Christmas? They wanted it designed and built within 12 weeks. And, like, that was... I Over Christmas? Thought, yeah, yeah. When everything so, shut down. When everything, so we, we took the job on. Um, it was actually opened uh, 14 weeks later. We had, a, we had a builder already and we had, mm. you know, there was a budget and everything, but it was um, a fast-track one. But the results, um, I think, are, are interesting there and they work, they work okay. Um, you've just completed a new bar in the Curtain House building called Mesa Vida. Yep. Which is an interesting project mm. um, based on a kind of a 60s Western feel. Yes, uh, owner, owner Tim Peach um, came up with a, a vision or a dream one night. I was watching um, Sergio Leone's, um, it's called Duck You Sucker, or it's been recently renamed as uh, A Fistful of Dollars with James Coburn and Rod Steger there. Uh, a kind of spaghetti western bar, and he um, he uh, runs the rooftops in or up above, so it's just underneath that, and um, wanted to make... Um, it's kind of a Wild West bar in a way, but very tastefully done, um, use of materials and um, timber and backlit onyx and carved skull heads and some posters of 60s movies. And so there was a bit of a, certainly direction from Tim, a lot of other people involved in the project and um, gave it a lot of love and attention over, over quite a period. So it, it evolved and it was, a, it was a great process to be involved with and, you know, helping them see their vision, really, and in the end, that's but what that, you do. Yeah. Um, Grant, that vision was taken through to even the cutlery, yeah. the, which is done by Marcus Davidson. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of almost looked like the, the um, knives had been, you know, run over a, a sem by a semi-trailer. Well, yeah, but, well, they're more, more like um, campfire cowboy, uh, hand beaten out of you know what found metal and um, um, you know metal enamel plates and baked beans and a campfire that that kind of feel about it, which which came from you know Tim and Kathy Reed, the chef there, and, and and Grant Gould as well, the manager. So there's a lot of layers to it, and that's when a project I think really. Um, takes a hold of of a of a space and and a theme and a delivery um, where it's the, the whole package. It's a whole package, and it's a collaborative thing. Um, you know, to to just say, okay, designer, there you go. Please deliver me a cafe, and that's it. Um, you can you, you need to bounce back and forth and and, and work through things and and um, evolve basically. And that was uh, that was a project that does do that. And I know they they serve. They're great margaritas and a lot of tequilas, and there's a DJ in there. Um, and it's kind of deliberately old-fashioned. It it's is, kind of, it is, you yeah. know, There's no CDs, there's record covers from the 60s right. and yeah. 70s. They only yeah. play vinyl. Yep. Um, they've got a little uh, turntable yeah. that's kind of clad in timber, mm. but it's definitely, you know, old-fashioned. It's, it, it's, it's a sort of grabbing a bit of an era, and not everything's, um, you know, shy, has to be shiny and new and, and, and plastic and rounded or whatever. Mm. It's, um, and that... I enjoy the briefs, and each each brief of a hospitality project is really quite a different brief mm. altogether. Radio Mexico is it's maybe a little bit similar to that being Mexican style food, but that mm. um, caravan type structure. Whereas, um, you know, the Olsen Hotel one was um, using John Olsen's um, inspiration and un, un, uh, you know fantastic paintings and frogs, and we were we had a, a curtain around the bar that was uh, going to project 
Olsen images. Um, but they didn't take that up, unfortunately. So there are disappointments in, in some well, do you rush feel to if grab, you, yeah. Grant, do you feel if you get 90% over the line, that's a successful project? Or you always think, what about um, that 10%? Oh, you always think it can be better, and you look back and think, oh, gee, what, what happened there? But I think if you get anything over the line and actually built it, it's fantastic. I mean, what you're doing is um, it uh, it then moulds itself as to what it needs to be. So um, the ones that work well um, stay longevity, the, the operation is good, it's successful, and it moves on. Um, and that's part of what we are supposed to do as, as architects and designers and, and obtain a brief and, and actually build something for people to engage with. When is it uh, almost a warning signal that something's going to fail? Like if, <laughs> if someone walks in and says, look, Grant, I've got this idea, I've got this theme, I think it's mm. going to be amazing, and you're already, the alarm bells are going off and you're thinking, look, this is just really corny. Yeah. Do you um, kind of hold to, take them back and say, look, who's the market? You ask a lot of questions. Usually, the budget kills the project, but it's a with an idea-based thing. Um, you don't deny someone an idea and a direction to, and you're assisting to do that to an end game. But yeah, it's a bit of like, really, do you want to? Do you think that's going to work? And have you got? Um, think got the client base or is the area right or the location? And um, what's been the biggest disaster without naming names? Um, disasters. Hmm. Something that well, just hasn't hasn't worked, and you can really, see I'm that it was trying to think of one. But it's there, I'd hope to think that there's sort of no absolute disasters. It's ones that um, probably they uh, they open up um, didn't didn't realise um, the, the the depth of commitment. Perhaps was what what was involved. But not off the cuff, I can't actually mm. recall anyone you, in particular. On the you tend to. I mean, it's it's well. interesting. A lot of the areas that you're working in mm. are very, you know, you can almost draw quite a, a nice little circle around certain areas. St Kilda, you're very well represented. And the city, you're well represented? Yeah, bits in the city. Um, less so northern side, I guess, being based down in, um, in St Kilda. And that's where the hospitality side came from, uh, initially working on the Dogs Bar with Don Levy Fitzpatrick. At the George? No, at the Dogs Bar. Oh, OK. And then at, he bought the George um, Hotel... Um, in the early 90s and having arrived back from Japan after in the early 90s for a couple of years over there a uh, very different environment altogether started to work with Don and Don um, just had a was, was one of those true visionaries of um, Melbourne cafe culture and changed um, introduced alfresco dining virtually and uh, learned a lot about the layers of um, the hospitality being the chefs, the, the the waiters, the the drink staff, the um the operation, and how to do it simply, but with a bit of bit of style. And a lot of other p people um, I met during the course of working part time in the George Hotel, and I've never never actually left the building now. Still sort of mm -hmm. still there twenty years later. So a lot came from that as as an evolution thing. Um, yeah, he was he was a fantastic inspiration. Unfortunately, not with us anymore. No, he passed away yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, sadly. yeah. Um, but we spread a bit interstate, a bit in Sydney, and that's mm. sort of a couple of retail projects have brought me back overseas again in uh, in Macau. Did a bit of work over there, so it. What we do it in is Macau. great. Uh, did a couple of jewellery shops for um, Atore Pearls, which um, which was an interesting brief, um, and. Uh, 
quite a few trips to Macau, into the Venetian Casino, again a totally manufactured artificial world, um, miles away from um, you know, a little cafe in the back blocks of St Kilda really, but mm. uh, it was, was, was great to do and um, bringing that retail uh, element, which is very much an interior design aspect rather than architecture per se of um, in buildings. So uh, I guess we'd like to think that we can have an attention to an interior detail almost as not, not a craftsman-like but a uh, an ability of attention of detail and, and layering so that the thing just, just sits well, it hangs together well and that, that would go for a building as well sitting on the landscape. It's interesting, mm. uh, I don't want to... Um harp on it because I, I think you know you do have a broad portfolio but it's interesting the way the hospitality scene has moved say in the last few years from being very luxe and very polished and very mm. refined mm. to very rough and ready and yeah. you know is it is it just another fad all the exposed light bulbs the yeah. the battered walls you know but, i mean yeah, there was one there's one architect brick, yeah. interviewed recently and he mm. kind of stripped off layers of marble and mm. and the wall, the effect was just um, you know pot hot pot cold. Um, it's that sort of shabby chic look. Shabby where is it just a fad? Are we going to look back at um, this? It could be. I think there's more of um, a concern within the punter these days to not appear to be overly opulent, to be environmentally humble. sensitive, and be a bit more humble. And sort of so that raw element of. Um, unfinished surfaces and just, well, we didn't need to spend oodles of money on marble lining the whole building. And I think that's the sort of responsibility which is good in an attitude. But, but the other a... side of that coin is that you end up with um, just this generic look everywhere. Well, I've started to see it everywhere, It's either white timber, bare brick walls, and, and um, where... And in, in a way, it's, it's a fairly corny. easy to do. And mm. uh, it doesn't add that much, really, to the design um, debate. And... We'd like to ingest a little bit more into the projects that may layer those um, ideas. You can still have um, raw elements in there, I think, and, and, and be environmentally responsible and, and use recycled materials and all that kind of thing, which we've done in projects for sure too. Yeah. But, um, you know, sometimes there's... Uh, well, I'm just seeing it everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it has become a, a generic look. And it's so very generic. Why... Why, um, so why will there be a backlash up? and we'll go back to the marble and glitz? Uh, I don't think there'll be total backlash, but in certain projects it's, a, it's appropriate mm. if there's a sort of level of expectation. But I enjoy the kind of um, the dialogue, say, between a raw space. It's a volume, it's a space, there it is. And exposing a bit of the layers of history, exposing a kind of... Um, the genes of a building, if you like, um, doing renovations to buildings. It's always, um, I, I like to have a contrast between the new and an old, of course, but also ingesting some sense of what that building was about. And a space has a sort of a bit of a sense of, of history and layering um, to it as well. So that injected with good, well thought design can actually work quite well. Um, to, to totally sheen over a whole new thing is, um, were you creating an an object mm. which is almost like a designed industrial design piece and that can be very enjoyable too but um that's a that's a different thing but yeah there is a there's definitely is a uh, well you see a it. look now and you're walking oh I've, where am i i think i've been in this restaurant 10 times before yeah. in, in northcote or whatever well the thing is i can even understand if the base materials aren't there i think what is probably more disturbing is when people are ripping off marble 
Um, well, they're the invent, inventing a raw look. Yeah, which, they're inventing yeah, that raw yeah. look, and it's almost like, well, we can't have it mm. being too refined because people won't come in, so we'll throw some egg on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you've done a lot of apartments <coughs> as well. Um, yeah, probably more. Not that many multi-res. That's one in... Um, Mount Beauty was a, is a resort at the base of Falls Creek. Um, Mount Beauty... Um, Resort, Svarmisk, mm -hmm. it's called. It's um, it's a sort of Swedish uh, ski instructor married the local local boy, um, Andy Miro, and uh, they had a bit of a vision on a on a five acre property on the outskirts of town, and um, it's um, it's evolving. Built six um, holiday units there, or three. They're they're quite a short footprint, very small, six by six meter cube, sort of stacked on. Um, but there's a cafe there now. And um, it was going to be a spa centre, but they're they're very hard to make work. Um, you know, even at Hepburn Springs, it's. Uh, Why is that, Grant? Oh well, they're not. They don't. We haven't got a culture like in Japan of onsens and and all of that. Mm. So they're expensive to run, and it's like a you know, public swimming pool that run by a local council. They 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 can make money, I guess, but a lot of them are really just. Um, you've got to have all the layers of support and site and everything else around it to make it work. So the houses um, and, and, and units were built and um, the cafe does very well selling Swedish food. So that was an interesting project, yeah, on a, on a big site. Felt like more like a project I was doing in Japan. And that one's Phillip Island, yeah. Yeah, close to home. Um, mm. Surfside beach houses. Yeah. Obviously an interesting project, quite stripped back and quite angle. Is that to kind of pick up the... The, the tough was wind a, conditions. It was um, the, the the extended pergola, sort of over all three buildings, linked um, the, the the foreshore. Uh, it's actually Muttonbird Rookery right there, and it was um, the intent initially was to provide a sort of link between the landscape and the building, whereby um, planting would occur and eventually evolve and kind of grow cover the, the building. building. But um, the, the local bow spinach um, does take off, but it doesn't climb up buildings that that well. So it's um, it still sits there very comfortably. They're they're compact little um, plywood clad uh, beach houses and have a very very simple open feel to it. Yeah, Grant, it's interesting because um, there's been a real trend to luxury beach houses. Mm. I always find that very interesting that people mm. want so many add-ons when they really what they should be getting. I would have thought is a very different experience. Oh, absolutely, totally agree. And that yeah. must be quite challenging for an architect to convince someone that you're not building a city house mm. by the beach. Well, yeah, I grew up with with beach shacks and you know a bit Some of, of the surfing that memories. kind of thing, and that that you need a different experience from your city abode, of course, and it's quite astounding. I mean, there's big blocks. There's big money involved, and all is that, that kind just of thing. The and that might, might be the you know, well, the Portsea House is different than a um, you know a Venice Bay House, for instance. But that beach experience is about, I think, trimming down and living, living almost dis differently. I go back to the you know, camping in my youth at Rosebud Foreshore, and it was so basic and very, um, very simple. You almost invented your little house as you were down there, but that. That the memories of that and just the immediacy of indoor outdoor canvas and mm. um, you felt like uh, you're really connecting with uh, a totally different environment, which is what the beach environment well, is more about. Thought. No, rather than um, 
walking into a virtually a suburban house identikit of um With the home of white marble and theatre. I mean, why bother? It's mm. just um, I don't know. Might as well. Uh, is it because yeah. maybe people are thinking of retirement down there, down the uh, track? Keeping up with the Joneses, everyone yeah. else doing it, and if you have the, the budget and ability to do it, yes. And, well, that's um, what I'm saying. Good, the, good, um, the good beach houses with a, with a good budget are based on different, a different experience and, and materiality or, or um, layout that does feel right for down the coast. Um, um, but, you know, reproducing a suburban... Yeah. McMansion down the coast is just quite a disgusting thought, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's a thought that's going to linger for many mm. years because mm. there seems to be too many of them. Yeah. And I don't know if it's my, if I'm partly to blame because I write on <laughs> luxury <laughs> beach houses. And um, yeah, I mean, being a luxury beach house not necessarily is such a bad thing putting into it, but it, it's just the proliferation of a kind of. Um, overt display of these things that um and they're private and gated almost and that's um look that's fair enough to do uh but it doesn't enjoy your holiday but, um, no you're not getting the real community holiday experience which is what um is is certainly part of getting away um this is a new project that's mm -hmm. been... It's taken quite a while to, to appear. Yep. Um, but it's an interesting project, the Smith Street Apartments. Yeah, that's, that's been done for Neo Metro. Um, they bought the building quite a few years ago, the Panama House, they call it, where Panama Club is in the middle of Smith Street in Fitzroy. Um, and we've added 15 apartments on top of an existing three-storey sort of warehouse style arched window warehouse style building where the parapet actually had been the original parapet was removed um, and a flat roof put on you know, many years ago so we reinstated um, not slavishly copying the original but reinstated the, the idea of a parapet and gave the building back a bit more of its grandeur and on top of that is a kind of industrial uh, inspired warehouse bit sort of pre Peter Behrens from you know um, early Art early twenties early twenties uh, sort 19, of more, more robust uh, and it's 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 um it's all metal it's got sort of buttresses coming out connecting back but well set back and well mannered behind the facade it um, ended up going to VCAP for one extra story but we got there and uh, it's nearly nearly finished now so yeah very pleased with it. What do you think is the most challenging thing for an architect these days? Is it just getting the right client who actually gets what you're trying to achieve? Mm. It's it's it, it is it is just achieving a a balance between a client with um, a reasonable vision is good, but and, and a a budget that will allow. Um, a realistic delivery of what they expect. And that's usually sort of that at the beginning where you say, look, hang on, you're not, you're not going to build that for that. So, so usually you're once up front. That's, you're up front and, and you've got to be realistic about what, what was involved. Uh, if that's um, that's good, then developing um, that process together is great. But then you've the bureaucratic process thereafter can be incredibly lengthy and planning issues. We've got to two houses down at Wye River, for instance, trying to even um, get them over the line in the amount of the bushfire code and the keep the tree code and the um, the landslip capability assessment, this and this and this. So the amount of reports and and the average client has no idea 
the extended work kind of, that you have to do to so they, even do, get there. Do they kind know. of withdraw or they say, look, we've actually had enough? Uh, some have, yep, yeah. yep. We did have uh, one house where it took, you know, sort of 12, 12 months really to... And we did everything required. There was nothing wrong with what we did, and finally it got through there. But the client had had enough and just sold the block as it was, and someone else built that house. I just wanted to to move on, and uh, that that process can be very arduous over the time, and that's one of the bigger difficulties in just getting a delivery. And usually they're all sort of very very reasonable projects, and they're not outrageous and and too big and bulky and ugly developments. I mean, they're considered designs. It's just um, the tick-to-box attitude that the planners really um, make sure that their ass is covered, basically. And yeah. if someone comes back and says, "How did you let that go through?" and 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 really, I find getting you've, you've kind of come to a very interesting point with planning because I actually trained as a planner, mm. and I got out thinking that uh, there were too many controls and there wasn't enough design content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the planner's uh, career. And yeah, I think that's a problem. It is a problem, um, and that that design content, um, yeah, that they, they assess things in a certain way, in a, in a planner sense. They're not as um, educated in in perhaps the design the sense. designing part, but they need to make judgments on the designing part. So you've got a you've got a dichotomy happening there, and a bit of a dilemma. But also, um, you know, the good. The good planners actually recognise um, this is a great project for the local area, and we've got we, we we get some you know like City Port Phillip, a lot of St Kilda projects get involved in the planners know and, and oh this is fantastic and it and they really assist the pathway through and support support the project. Um, but where you know you get get the scratching of the head and I don't know it's um never seen it, it becomes before. Problem, problematic yeah mm-hmm. and um, so that's that's part of the. The dilemma of um, the planning versus the designer yeah. debate that goes on, and everybody, every architect has a bit of a, a bitch story about how long it takes through planning, and yeah. and the client has just kind of wonders what they why think you're is it taking so long? Why aren't you aren't you doing your pro- job right? And it's um it it is just part of the the process, and different cities, different countries have a whole new uh, sort of planning laws that you go through. So, for instance, in Japan. It's um, you can build cheek by jowl right next to each other. And you can there pull literally wasn't anything down. Um, yeah, yeah. Not scared of the future, but still recognise the past. Mm-hmm. So they're um, they sort of surge ahead. Some sometimes a bit too fast and too far, and embrace um, technology is going to save everything. But uh, you know, I did really love that layers of of almost feudalistic history that still still evolves, and mm-hmm. little timber houses sitting next to complete um, high tech. High-tech buildings next door, and that that um, overlap and contradiction in the city is is just exciting and and, and um, energising, really. And we we we're heading a little bit this way, perhaps um, towards sort of um, overly zoning areas that um, neighbourhood zones and and protection and this all almost they'll become sort of ninety percent like Glenora Council, ninety percent of the area is now locked up in. In a neighbourhood protection zone, so it, it yes, historic buildings need protecting, but it it really limits a bit of opportunity. So this high density areas, which should be encouraged, of course, around nodes and things, um, uh, there may be too end up a too much of a contrast between the two, and um, completely uh, zoning out Melbourne. So I 
like injection and overlap and walking around a corner and finding a little discovery or a mystery or a surprise that um, in a sanitised suburb, it's a bit it dead. gets a bit boring. Yeah. And um, great cities around the world are about that overlap and, you know, even European cities... It's something um, have that nice injection. You can have new and old working. You're not destroying the old. You're just adding to the layers of it, and uh, that's you know that can be making for a great city. Look, thanks so much for coming in today, Grant. It's been a My pleasure. pleasure uh, I'll continue to follow your work and see what you're up to, and yeah. um, and it is nice walking into one of your spaces and being surprised. And I think that's what keeps me interested in your work. Thanks a lot. Yeah. So thanks for coming today. You've yeah. been with Grant Amon and uh, Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>